0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. We are in the book of Philippians, and we're ending that journey today. It has been an incredible time. I actually got to look back and listen to all of those who preached one of these sermons, or taught one of these sermons this week, uh, this summer, and I will say we have some incredibly gifted communicators in this church, and people that the Lord is speaking to. Last week was was special for me as Josh uh, did an incredible job speaking in the first service, but the second one was translated by Freddie and some of the team to to be able to uh, show hospitality to some of the asylum seekers. What an incredible time! As the family of God came together. And just an example of what God is doing. God is speaking to his people. Church, we who have ears to hear need to open our ears to hear because God speaks to you. You can know and understand his word. This is why we study his scriptures together so that we can hear together. This is why we encourage you to interact with his word. Because this can't just be something that I hear and proclaim to you. It's got to be something that you, that you posture yourself in a place to know and hear God's word. His word is pure and good and right and food for our soul. So, continue to seek him, church, but just hear those who are feeding on his word to come and share with us as their brothers and sisters. What an incredible job. And I want to thank everybody who spoke. This is our closing of Philippians. And then we're going to head into a couple of, of weeks of kind of um, uh, standalone sermons. Pastor Wayne will speak next week, he's been on vacation for the last couple of weeks and he's going to be speaking next week, and then together we'll be speaking the following week on some things we want to talk to you specifically about the church, and then we're entering into the book of Exodus. So we got a a journey ahead of us. Can you say amen to that? But I wanted to take a minute and kind of remind you of the journey that we've been on. Now, if you don't You won't be able to see this, especially since most of you like to sit as far away from the screen as possible, which you wonder, why does he yell so much, so you can hear me, okay, all the way back in the back. Um, But I I wanted you to see this, not because you'll be able to make out everything here, and I'll kind of zoom in on a minute, but I wanted to remind you that this whole book is written in actually an extremely beautiful literary way where Paul, who is writing from prison to his brothers and sisters in Christ, or he calls them partners, and you're going to see that again today, makes the centerpiece of this book a poem, a song, about the person of Jesus. And then every other surrounding illustration and story is all pointing towards these illustrations of what it looks like for people to live into that story okay so around us as we see brothers and sisters in Christ living in the way of Jesus in the midst of suffering in the midst of their lives as they're living in the way of Jesus what we truly are pointing to is that the life of Christ is in us and dwells in us richly and so if we take a minute to kind of zoom in on the story what you see is in that poem is this reality of how this um, this although Jesus, although God existed and and is and didn't consider equality with God, although Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he took on the form of a servant, as you see him humbling himself and washing the feet, but also coming all the way to the point of death. And that it is God who has raised him up, the Father who has raised him up, that he's resurrected, and at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, the reason why I wanted to kind of highlight that is because if you zoom in closer, what you see is we, the people of God, have been grasping since the garden. Now, as you see Adam grasping for equality with God, what it says about Jesus, because it has this imagery of the garden, what it says about Jesus is that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He already was equal with God. He already was and is God. He didn't have to grasp for it. But what we see since the garden are these triangles that are being built where people are living in a way in which they are grasping after what only God can supply and give to them. They're reaching upwards. We see this triangle imagery continue to happen throughout scripture, even as they, the Tower of Babel is built, and even as people are continuing to reach up and try to be their own God, to take into their own hands what the knowledge of good is, even the evil is. They want to be the ones who are controlling everything. They're building, if you will, self-righteous systems. We've talked about this multiple times, but I want to just reiterate this. When you build these triangles, what you end up having is people who have reached the top who make these rules and laws and systems, you see that in religious systems, but you also see that in so many other systems. You see that in governmental systems. You see that in financial institutions. You see that in educational institutions, that there is an elite group at the top, and there's a whole group at the bottom who is trying to grasp and reach their way to the top, and those at the top are making these ways in which you could reach it. Everybody could reach it. They tell you this lie. If you just keep grasping, if you just keep trying, if you just keep reaching, if you just keep going after it, you will get there. And so everybody is striving and reaching, and those at the top are trying to keep everybody down. And what ends up happening is, there's a big collision and confusion and separation that happens in the middle. But what we see in Christ is this perfect unity, this perfect covenant, if you will. The covenant that he has with God and in himself with his Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this covenant is all one, right? They all are perfectly in unity together, and they're not grasping after power. But they are. And so much so that you see the direction of covenant. The direction of covenant is not going up after power. The direction of covenant is seen in Jesus when he humbles himself all the way to the point of death. So you see people who are operating in self-righteous systems based upon how they grasp after things versus knowing How much they've been fully given, and how because they've been given the fullness of it, as God has supplied it to them, they can humble themselves and go in a direction of humility rather than a direction of arrogance. Now, I want you to notice something that in this reality, what we can often think of because it is very clear in Scripture. That religion creates self-righteous systems. They try to give laws in which tell you if you do this, this, and this, you can be loved by your father. You can receive his acceptance. You, if you do this, if you keep grasping, can get there. But not only are there self-righteous systems, there's also all kinds of systems. There's, there's systems in which we try to reach approval. But Paul attacks that system where at the beginning of Philippians, they're saying there's a bunch of people talking bad about you. And he goes, you know what? As long as the gospel is being preached, that's all that matters to me. He's not grasping after the approval of others. There's also another system A power system in which you reach the top of your educational bracket or you are at the top of the system. And he also talks about that in Philippians chapter 3. I count all of that as garbage. I don't boast in that. It's garbage. It's filth. None of it gives me What I already have received only in knowing Christ, Him crucified and resurrected, that I may know Him. See, He said, I've got more than all of y'all. I got a ton to boast in, but it's garbage. And today, he's going to show another system that many of us operate in, and that is grasping after financial success. And how does he respond today? Because here's what I want you to understand many of you in this room, I love you dearly, I'm with you, I'm a pastor in this church. I sit with you, I pray with you, you sit with me, you pray with me. Many of us in this church are exhausted and anxious and overwhelmed. And here's the reason why. You're grasping. You're chasing. You're reaching for something that only can be supplied... In Christ. And this is the whole element. This is the whole narrative that Paul not only proclaims in poetry, in living examples, but also in himself. Because what he shows us is something really unique. And I want us to look at this. He shows us a window into his heart. These three things we won't be able to break down, but we've talked about throughout this time, is this. Is that one thing that Paul really saw is he saw his life as a reenactment of Jesus's life. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and fellowship with him in his sufferings. There's two types of knowledge that he mentions there. First one is that I would fellowship with him, I would have a nearness to him, I would love him dearly, I would enter into his sufferings, I would humble myself, but then that I would know him in the power of his resurrection is basically this, that I would act like him. That I would live in the same way. So here's what he's saying. If I'm going to know Christ, I can't just want to have closeness and nearness to him. I want to be like him. So instead of grasping, I'm going to humble myself all the way to the point of death, receiving a resurrection through the work of Christ. I'm not going to be grasping after things that can only be supplied through Christ. So he sees his life as a reenactment of that, but he's also aware of something, that Jesus' love and presence, See, he wants to be close and near to Jesus, that Jesus' love and presence is what gives him hope and humility. He's not just suffering for suffering's sake. He suffers with hope knowing that in his suffering there is this hope of being made into the image of Christ and being conformed into his image and being resurrected with him, and that in that day when Christ comes and makes all things new, we will be with him and worship with him. Worship him. But also, he believes this, knowing Jesus deeply pers- is deeply personal and transformative. So if I know him, if I Stop grasping and and just go after this knowing of him. It's not only intimate and close and personal, and I get to have this love and relationship with him, but it's also very transformative. It changes the way I live all of life. So he says it in a poem. And he gives multiple illustrations, and he uses himself as an illustration, and he tells them, Imitate me as I follow Christ. So, as we read Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 23, let's stand together. And the reason why I wanted to start with that is so that all that would be in our minds. As we run at this last part of the text. So let's stand together. And what I'm going to do is just highlight a few things on the screen. And I'm going to try to move through these points rather quickly. So that we can spend some time today praying. This is the word of the Lord. Let's remember that as we read today. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret to being content in every situation, whether I am well fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have heard that text before? Okay, seen it on some athlete shoes somewhere. Yet it was good to share in my troubles. Moreover as you Philippians I know in the early days you were acquaintances with the gospel when I sent when I set out for Macedonia not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only for even when I was in Thessalonica you sent me aid more than once when I was in need not that I desired your gift what I desire is more be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I have amply, I am amply supplied now that I have received from uh, Ephroditus and the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offerings and acceptable sacrifices, pleasing to God. And here's this one. You've heard this one. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. To our God and Father in glory forever, amen. Greetings to all of God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me, send greeting. All God's people are here, send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice a couple of things. There is a system that is developed that many of us, like the Roman people, who were in a very national, nationalistic culture, they were also grasping after many things that we who live in systems like the American system that we live in, and the world and the culture we live in, many of us are grasping after financial stability. We spend most of our time and life thinking about it, praying about it. It affects so many parts of our walk, It affects so many relationships that we have. And when we read something like this, it seems foreign to us to understand what it means to be content. When you preach a message like this, church, many people are going to end with the same question I will try to answer today. What does that look like? I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. What does contentment look like? The reason why we had to talk about covenant up front is because what you have to understand about covenant is covenant is a whole different shape and it's a whole different direction. We went over that. It doesn't look like a triangle. It's this circle. No top and bottom. There's nothing. It doesn't look like People trying to grasp their way to the top, it looks like humility, outdoing one another in showing honor, dying to self. It looks like humbling ourselves, not trying to step on each other to get to the top. It's a different direction, but it's also a different language. Whenever you go into a different culture, from one culture to another, it's hard to understand the new language. So when you come into a covenantal language or a kingdom language, it's hard to understand that language. And when you hear somebody say something like, I'm content, you have to understand that's covenantal language. If you ever go to a wedding, which we would think of as our picture of covenant, there is a simple, clear illustration of this. Covenantal language anticipates that you will go through different seasons while committing to having and holding one another says it this way. I'm going to be sick. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be rich. We're going to be rich. We're going to be poor. We're going to go through ups and we're going to go through downs. But we will have and we will hold one another. Till death do we part. That simple picture shows the kind of language that Paul is using as he's explaining what it means to be someone who knows what it's like to go through all the seasons of life and all the seasons of hunger and plenty and wealth and poverty. He has learned What it means to have it all and to have none. You see, when you enter into a covenantal relationship, what you see is that the centerpiece of that is that the circumstances of life cannot change the covenants. The circumstances of life cannot change the covenant. And what we have is this. We're declaring, I have all I need in you. And not in those things. Those things don't supply all the things that I actually need. We will go through those things, but what I have is all I need. You see, he said this when he said, look, What I want more than anything is to know Him. I'm in covenant with Him. I want to be conformed to Him. And this empowers me not only to strive after not trying to get people's approval, not building self-righteous systems of religion, not going after boasting in my own education and power, but it also frees me from trying to measure myself based upon the circumstances I go through in life. See, this covenant language disorients us because we don't often speak this way. You see, contentment is not something we produce in our flesh and grasp after. See, if you're not careful, what you'll start to do is try to grasp after covenant language but not have the deep rest in your heart by which it flows out of. Because this is not just, no, I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm good. This comes from something far different. I want you to look at this because Paul gives us a couple of ways in which he has reached this. First, he says, I've learned this. Do you see that in verse 11? I've learned. I've learned this. (laughs) What I love about Paul is he often shares, like he did in chapter 3, this is not something I've already obtained. This is not something I'm already doing perfectly every day. This is not something that I'm perfect at, and telling everybody else to do it. This is something that I'm continually trying to lay hold of and learning. Can, can anybody relate to that? That as circumstances in life change, circumstances of life are not the teacher, but they definitely are the classroom. Life doesn't teach you anything. Jesus is the one who teaches you. Jesus is the one who. By his spirit gives you an ever-present teacher in the midst of all kinds of circumstances of life. That in the midst of that, God is gonna supply to you this teaching. Paul is showing what it means to be a follower of Christ is not to master this, but to always be learning this. Anybody there with me? How many of us learn this kicking and screaming? You see, Paul shows us that as he has gone through imprisonment and abandonment, as he has gone through all of these kinds of things, the highs and the lows, where he was at the top of the boasting chart and in prison with people talking about him, what he has learned is that none of those things can bring him contentment. It is only Christ. And he says it this way, I haven't obtained it. I'm still learning it. But this is what I'm learning. That I already have all that I need in Christ. And I will fully and completely have when he comes the fullness of all I need in Christ. And while I am in that already not yet The Spirit of God is helping me to learn and grow more and more into it. The other thing is, not only are we learning, he calls this a secret. Do you see that? He says, I've learned the secret. What I love about this is first he talks about his nearness to Christ, and then he talks about how God speaks to us in the midst of these, is by sharing with us secrets the way I see it is. He whispers it into your ear. Church, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's receiving this whisper of the Spirit. That is the secret to contentment, that you only hear. As the Spirit of God whispers this secret into your ear, you do not come up with this on your own. As you cling to Him, as you learn from Him, as you walk closely to Him, the Spirit of God speaks to you My grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I know you want to grasp. I know you want to, but I am all that you need. How many times, if we go, God, if you just take care of my need, if you just pay this bill one time, I promise, God, I will. I will. I'll be happy. I'll never complain again, God. I promise. And you know you're lying to him, right? Tomorrow you'll start complaining again. Because contentment is not something that finances can give you. Matter of fact, it's harder to be content the more you have. That's why he says, I need the same strength when I have a lot of money as I do when I have a little bit of money. Because wealth, according to Scripture, has this seductive power To move people away from Christ. So if you're going to have a lot. You need Christ a lot. So that you don't lull yourself into a false sense of comfort and contentment. That money can't provide. It's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Because what if he says, hey, you know what? In this season, I want you to give it all away. Well, that wouldn't be God, would it? How about when the job goes away and he has to fully provide for you and others have to help you like the Philippian church? How about the times where all of a sudden You thought you were the provider and you realize you're not. Those are actually times where contentment has to be anchored far more deeply than when you could just rely on that check to pay everything. But what he is showing them as they are giving to him, remember, the Philippian church is sending him money and resources and food. You kind of just wish Paul would go, Thank you so much. That means a ton. But he goes, no, listen, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's one thing you have to know. Contentment changes the way you relate to other people. When you're not content in Christ and circumstances dictate everything about you, they also dictate your relationships. Because you treat people differently based upon what you expect for them to do for you. If Paul expected that it was their job to give him resources and to take care of him, then what it would do is, if they sent him money, he'd go, about time! Or, what am I supposed to do with this? It's not enough! Can can I just tell you, many of your relationships have been destroyed because of your lack of contentment and your heightened expectations. You can't even be in a church community because you look around at all of your brothers and sisters and you think their job is to take care of all your needs. And so when you face struggles and pains, you begin to act in such a way that shows your contentment is not in Christ. I have seen many of us break relationships because of our lack of resources. Here's one thing you have to learn really fast. You cannot please someone whose pleasure is not already fulfilled in Christ. No matter how much money you give them, no matter how many bills you pay for them, no matter how many food baskets you take to their house, no matter how much you do for them, they will not be pleased. So if your aim of being generous is to make somebody happy and that they would find pleasure in Christ because of your generosity, that doesn't happen. So what Paul is showing to them is what true gratefulness looks like. I am already fully satisfied in Christ and I am so thankful for your generosity. Because it wasn't to fill a place in my life. Because what we see here now is that contentment and generosity are both windows to the heart of someone's life in Christ. For those, like Paul, who are without and dependent at this place in his life where he needs the provision of the saints to take care of him, what he shows is, no, actually, brothers and sisters, I am so thankful for this, and I am so thankful that you sent this, and I, am so, I see what God did in you, but I want you to know I'm fulfilled in Christ, which makes it so much the more to be able to provide generously for somebody who already is fulfilled in Christ, and they see it as the provision of Christ coming towards them. But he also recognizes that it is also an illustration of the life of Christ when somebody is generous. Notice this, because he talks about, over and over again, how they gave generously. Here's one thing we know, that if we are going to live in the way of Christ... Whenever we have resources, we do not see them as our own, but we actually live into those going. These resources have been given to me that God would use me to be one who would steward them in a way. And when Jesus whispers into my ear, you need to give. I want you to notice the kind of generosity that they had because this is actually really interesting. Verse 15 and 16, it shows that it was long term. It had been happening for a long time. Their generosity was not out of their wealth. It was actually out of their need, which was more like the widow's might than it was like some rich young ruler. They were giving out of their need, and they were committed to the partnership with Paul. It was long-term. Generosity is something that is developed through long-term practice. It was costly. It wasn't just out of their, I got abundance, so I'll send him a little bit of extra. No, it was costly. When you're giving generously, it's going to feel like you're humbling yourself and dying to yourself. And in a way... You're making war against greed. It was costly. Verse 18 shows that. Verse 19 shows that it was generosity that came from the riches that Christ supplied to them. My God shall supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Money? No, in Jesus. The same way God was providing for Paul through Christ was the same way that he prayed. That as they were being used by Jesus to provide for him, that they would continue to see the supply. This was an illustration of the giving and taking of their partnership. It wasn't just them giving to Paul. Paul was continuing, it was a giving and receiving relationship. And inside of that, what he was acknowledging is not only in my poverty am I like Christ right now, but also in your generosity, you are acting like Christ. See, as we're in the family of God and we walk in these things, what we continue to see is that God supplies for us all that we need. Now, it comes to this place, and we're going to spend time in prayer because this question always fascinates me. We read something like this, and we always go, Pastor, how do I do that? Can you tell me practically how to live this out? And he has been giving answers to this question over and over again. I just don't think we like the question or we don't like the answer. Because here's the answer. Prayer. I want to read you this just so you can hear it. Go go back to what Josh preached on last week. for chapter 6. It says, Don't be anxious in anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How do I learn the secrets that he speaks of? How do I learn what it means to not be anxious in the midst of all kinds of circumstances? Pray. Get near to God so he can whisper into your ears. The type of prayers where you can come close to him. Prayer and supplications. Let your requests be made known to him. And what does he promise? The peace of God, verse 7, will surpass all understanding. And will guard your hearts and minds. Prayer. Prayer. Do you know what prayer does? It puts you in a different posture from trying to grasp something. The question is, how do I do this? How do I do this? It's so far up there. I'm not like Jesus. I can't do that. How do I do it? How do I grasp it? Prayer puts you in a place of receiving. recognizing I need your kingdom to come. I need your will to be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Prayer and what else? Meditation. Look at what meditation is. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, think on these things and meditate on these things. Then he says, what you have learned and received, there's that receiving language. What you have heard and seen in me. You know what that is? Imitation. Remember, the end of chapter 3, he says, imitate me. Here again, you've seen it in me. Here's how you learn these things. You learn it through prayer and meditation and imitating through discipleship those who are practicing these things. Meaning, you learn that in partnership, in community. You learn that by watching brothers and sisters go through struggles and trials. You learn that not by grasping. You learn that by entering into the life of Christ. That only comes Not because you attained it, but because Christ gives it. He supplies it. Here's what I want you to do as the band comes. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And, church, I want you to begin to think of your life. If I said the word contentment, would that describe your life? How many goals do you have set that you still haven't reached, that you're grasping after? How many things are you fully just trying to to reach in your own strength and effort how much finances will make you happy what relationship do you need that you will finally find what it means to be content what things have you set up into a position which you are going if i could just have that that you're not able to say i have all i need in christ about generous. People who are generous know they have all they need and so they don't have to hold on to what they've grasped. They can give it generously. All because it has been fully supplied to them through Christ. You say, well, Pastor I, I would say sometimes I'm like that. And sometimes I struggle with it. Me too. But instead of grasping more and reaching higher Paul encourages you, I think the spirit would call you. I encourage you. I I, I implore you. Learn the secrets of Jesus. Make the greatest joy and aim of your heart and life to know Him. And if anything trumps that, and if anything goes above that, lay it down at His feet. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, all you who feel like you don't have enough, who are grasping. Come, all you who no matter where you go and where you find yourself and what place you're in, you're always wanting the next can never find rest no matter what you look like no matter how much is in your bank account no matter how many people like your posts no matter what you're always grasping come